control. Walking back towards the control room, Malcolm said, I uh, have one more question, Dr. Wu. How many different species have you made so far? I'm not exactly sure, Wu said. I, I believe the number at the moment is 15. 15 species. Uh, do you know, Ed? Yeah, it's 15, Ed Regis said, nodding. Ah, uh, you don't know for sure, Malcolm said, affecting astonishment. Wu smiled. I stopped counting, he said, after the first dozen. And you have to realize that uh, sometimes we think we have an animal correctly made from the standpoint of DNA, which is our basic work, and the animal grows for six months and then something uh, untoward happens, and we realize there is some error. Uh, a, a releaser gene isn't operating, a, a hormone not being released, or some uh, other problem in the developmental sequence. So we have to go back to the drawing board with the animal, so to speak, he smiled. At one time, I thought I had more than 20 species, but now only 15. And uh, is one of the 15 species a Malcolm Tinter Grant? Uh, what, what is the name again? Uh, Procom Zognophus, Grant said. You have made uh, some Procom Zognophuses, or whatever they're called, Malcolm asked. Oh, yes, Wu said immediately. Combies are very distinctive animals, and we, we made an unusual large number of them. Uh, why is that? Well, we, we want Jurassic Park to be as real as the environment as possible and and, and as uh, authentic as possible. And the proconsognophies are actually uh, scavengers from the Jurassic period, rather like jackals, so we wanted to have the combis around to clean up. You mean they're to dispose of carcasses? Yes, if there were any. But uh, the, with only 230-odd animals in the total populations, we don't have many carcasses, we said. That wasn't the primary objective. Actually, we wanted the compies for another kind of waste management entirely. Ah, uh, which was? Well, we have some very big herbivores on the island. We have specifically tried to not to breed the biggest sauropods, but even so, we've got several animals in ex excess of 30 tons walking around out there, and many others in the 5 to 10 ton area. That gives us two problems. One is uh, feeding them, and in fact, we must import food to the island every two weeks. There is no way an island this small can support these animals at any time. But the other problem is waste. I don't know if you've ever seen elephant droppings, Wu said, but they are substantial. Uh, each spore is roughly the size of a soccer ball. Imagine the droppings of a brontosaur ten times as large. Now imagine the droppings of a herd of such animals as we keep here. And the largest animals do not digest their food terribly well, so that they uh, excrete a great deal. And in the 60 million years since dinosaurs disappeared, apparently the bacteria that specializes in breaking down their feces disappeared too. At least uh, sauropod feces don't decompose rapidly. That's a problem, Malcolm said. I assure you it is, Wu said, not smiling. We had a hell of a time trying to solve it. You probably know that in Africa there is a specific insect, the dung beetle, which eats uh, elephant feces. Many other uh, large species of associated creatures that have evolved to eat their excrement. Well, it turns out that compies will eat the feces of the large herbivores and redigest it. And the droppings of compies are readily break down by contemporary bacteria. So, given enough compies, our problem is solved. How many compies did you make? I've, uh, I've forgotten exactly, but uh, I think the target population was 50 animals. And we attained that or very nearly so, in three batches. We did a, a batch every six months until we had the number. Uh, Fifty animals, Malcolm said, is a lot to keep track of.
The control room is built to do exactly that. They'll show you how it's done. I'm sure, Malcolm said. But if one of these compies were to uh, escape from the island to get, to get away, they they can't get away. I I, I know that, but uh, just uh, supposing one did. Uh, you mean like the the animal that was found on the beach? Who said, raising his eyebrows, the one that bit the American girl? Ah, uh, yeah, for example. I I don't know what the explanation for that animal is, Wu said, but I, I, I know it's, it can't possibly be one of ours for two reasons. First, the control procedures. Our animals are counted by computer every few minutes, and if one were missing, we'd know at once. And, and the second reason? The mainland is more than a hundred miles away. It takes almost a day to get there by boat. And in the outside world, our animals will die within twelve hours, Wu said. How, how do you know? Because I've made sure that's precisely what will occur, Wu said, finally showing a trace of irritation. Look, we're not fools. We understand these are prehistoric animals. They are part of a vanished ecology, a complex web of life that became extinct millions of years ago. They, they might have no predators in the contemporary world, no, no checks on their growth. We don't want them to survive in the wild. So I've made them lice independent. I inserted a gene that makes a single foldy enzyme in, in protein metabolism. As a result, the animal cannot manufacture the amino acid lysine. They must ingest it from the outside. Unless they get a rich dietary source of exogenous lysine supplied by us in a tablet form, they'll go in a coma within 12 hours and expire. These animals are genetically engineered to be un unable to survive in the real world. They can only live here in Jurassic Park. They are not free at all. They are essentially our prisoners. Here's the control room, Ed Regis said. Now that you know how the animals are made, you'll want to see the control room for the park itself before we go out on the... He stopped. Through the thick glass window, the room was dark. The monitors were off, except for three that displayed spinning numbers and the image of a large boat. What's going on? Ed Regis said. Oh, hell, the docking! Ah, uh, docking? Every two weeks, a supply boat comes in from the mainland. One of the things that the island doesn't have is a good harbour. Or even a good dock. It's a little harder to get the ships in when the sea is rough. Give me a few minutes. He rapped on the window. But the man inside paid no attention. I guess we have to wait then. Ellie turned to Dr. Wu. You mentioned before that sometimes you make an animal and it seems to be fine, but as it grows it shows itself to be flawed? Yes, Wu said. I don't think there's any way around that. We can duplicate the DNA, but there is a lot of timing and development. And we don't know if everything is working unless we actually see the animal develop correctly. Grant said, How do you know if it's developing correctly? No one has ever seen these animals before. Wu smiled. I have often thought that too. I suppose it's a bit of a paradox. Eventually, uh, I, I, I hope, paleontologists such as yourself will compare our animals with a fossil record to verify their developmental sequence. And he said, but the animals we just saw, the Velociraptor, you said it was a, a Mongoliensis? From the location of the amber, we said. It's from China. Interesting, Grant said. I was just digging up a infant Antaropus. Are there uh, any fully grown raptors here? Yes, Ed Regis said without hesitation. Eight adult females. The females are, are the real hunters. They're pack hunters, you know. Well, will we see them on the tour? Uh, no, Wu said, looking subtly uncomfortable. And there was an awkward pause. 
Wu looked at Regis. <laughs> Not for a while, Regis said cheerfully. The Velociraptors haven't been integrated into the park setting yet, just yet. We keep them in a holding pen. Can I see them there? Grant said. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. In fact, we're, uh, we're waiting. He glanced at his watch. You might want to go around and have a look at them. I certainly would, Grant said. Absolutely, Ellie said. I want to go too, Tim said eagerly. Just go around the back of this building past the support facility and you'll see the pen. But don't get too close to the fence. Do you want to go too? He said to the little girl. No, Lex said. She looked appraisingly at Regis. You want to play a little pickle? Throw a few? <laughs> well, sure, Ed Regis said. Why don't you uh, and I go downstairs and we'll do that while we wait for the control room to open up. Grant walked with Ellie and Malcolm around the back of the building, with the kid tagging along. Grant liked kids. It was impossible not to like any group so openly enthusiastic about dinosaurs. Grant used to watch kids in museums as they stared open-mouthed at the big skeletons rising above them. He wondered what their fascination really represented. He finally decided that children liked dinosaurs because these giant creatures personified the uncontrollable force of looming authority. They were symbolic parents, fascinating and frightening like parents, and kids loved them, as they loved their parents. Gron also suspected that that was why young children even learned their names of dinosaurs. It never failed to amaze him when a three-year-old shrieked, STEGOSAURUS! Saying these complicated names was a way of exerting power over the giants, a way of being in control. Uh, what do you know about Velociraptor? Gran asked him. He was just making conversation. It's a small carnivore that hunted in packs like Denonicus, Tim said. That's right, Grant said. Although the evidence for pack hunting is all circumstantial, it derives in part of the appearance of the animal, which are quick and strong but small for dinosaurs, just a hundred and fifty to three hundred pounds each. We assume they hunted in groups if they were to bring down a larger prey. And there are some fossil finds in which the single large prey animal is associated with several raptor skeletons, suggesting they hunted in packs. And of course, raptors were large-brained, more intelligent than most dinosaurs. Ah, uh, how intelligent is that? Malcolm asked. Uh, depends who you talk to, Grant said. Just as paleontologists have come around to the idea that dinosaurs were probably warm-blooded, a lot of us are starting to think some of them might have been quite intelligent too, but nobody knows for sure. They left the visitor area behind, and soon they heard a loud hum of generators, smelled the faint odour of gasoline. They passed a grove of palm trees and saw a large, low concrete shed with a steel roof. The noise seemed to come from there. They looked in the shed. It must be a generator, Ellie said. It's big, Grant said, peering inside. The power plant actually extended two stories above ground level. A vast complex of whining turbines and piping that ran down in the earth, lit by harsh electric bulbs. They can just need all this for, for a resort, Malcolm said. They're uh, generating enough power here for a small city. Maybe for the computers. Maybe. Grant heard bleating and walked north a few yards. He came to an animal enclosure with goats, but a quick count he estimated there were fifty or sixty goats. What's that for? Ellie asked. It's me. Probably they uh, feed them to the dinosaurs, Malcolm said. 
The group walked on, following a dirt path through a dense bamboo grove. At the far side, they came to a double-layer chain-link fence, 12 feet higher, with spirals of barbed wire at the top. There was an electric hum along the outer fence. Beyond the fences, Grant saw a dense cluster of large ferns, five foot higher. He heard a snorting sound, a kind of snuffling. Then the sound of crushing footsteps came closer. Then a long silence. I don't see anything, Tim whispered finally. Shh! Grant waited. Several seconds passed. Flies buzzed in the air. He saw nothing. Ellie tapped him on the shoulder and pointed. Amid the ferns, Grant saw the head of an animal. It was motionless, partially hidden in the fronds, the two large dark eyes watching them coldly. The head was two feet long. From a pointed snout, a long row of teeth ran back to the hole of the auditory meters, which served as an ear. The head reminded him of a large lizard, or perhaps a crocodile. The eyes did not blink, and the animal did not move. Its skin was leathery, with a pebbled texture, and basically the same coloration as the infant's, yellow-brown with darker reddish markings, like the stripes of a tiger. As Grant watched, a single forelimb reached up very slowly to part the ferns beside the animal's face. The limb, Grant saw, was strongly muscled. The hand had three grasping fingers and ended with curved claws. The hand gently, slowly pushed aside the ferns. Grant felt a chill and thought, he's hunting us. For a mammal like man, there was something incredibly alien about the way reptiles hunted their prey. No wonder men hated reptiles. The stillness, the coldness, the pace was all wrong. To be among alligators or other large reptiles was to be reminded of a different kind of life, a different kind of world now vanished from Earth. Of course, this animal didn't realise that he'd been spotted, that he... The attack came suddenly from the left and the right. Charging raptors covered the ten yards to the fence with shocking speed. Grant had a blurred impression of powerful six-foot-tall bodies, still balancing tails, limbs with curved claws, open jaws and rows of jagged teeth. The animals snarled as they came forward and then leapt their body into the air, rising their hind legs with their big dagger claws. Then they struck the fence in front of them, throwing off a twin burst of hot sparks. The velociraptors fell backwards to the ground, hissing. The visitors all moved forward, fascinated. Only then did the third animal attack, leaping up to strike the fence at chest level. Tim screamed in fright as the sparks exploded all around him. The creature snarled a low, reptilian hissing sound and leapt back among the ferns. Then they were gone, leaving behind a faint odour of decay and banging acrid smoke. Holy shit, Tim said. It was so fast, Ellie said. Pack hunters, Grant said, shaking his head. Pack hunters for whom ambush is an instinct. Fascinating. I uh, wouldn't call them tremendously intelligent, Malcolm said. On the other side of the fence they heard snorting in the palm trees. Several heads poked out of the foliage. Grand counted three, four, five. The animals watched them, staring coldly. A black man in coveralls came running up to them. Are you all right? We're okay, Grand said. The, uh, the alarms were set off. The man looked at the fence, dented and charred. They attacked you? Three of them did, yes. The black man nodded. They do that all the time. Hit the fence, take a shock. They never seem to mind. 
Uh, not too smart, are they? Malcolm said. The black man paused. He squinted at Malcolm in the afternoon light. Be glad for that fence, senor, he said, and turned away. From beginning to end, the entire attack could have not taken more than six seconds. Grant was still trying to organise his impressions. The speed was astonishing. The animals were so fast he had hardly seen them move. Walking back, Malcolm said, they are remarkably fast. Yes, Grant said, much faster than any living reptile. A bull alligator can move quickly, but only over a short distance of five to six feet. Big lizards like like a five-foot Komodo dragons of, of Indonesia have, have been clocked at 30 miles an hour, fast enough to run down a man. And they kill men all the time, but I'd guess the animal behind the fence was more than twice that fast. Ah, cheater speed. Malcolm said 60, 70 miles an hour. Exactly. But uh, they seem to dart forward, Malcolm said, rather like birds. Yes. In the contemporary world, only very small mammals like the cobra-fighting mongoose had such quick responses. Small mammals and, of course, birds. The snake-hunting secretary bird of Africa, or the cassowary. In fact, the velociraptor conveyed precisely the same impression of deadly, swift menace Grant had seen in the cassowary. The clawed ostrich-like bird from New Guinea. So these uh, velociraptors look like reptiles with uh, the skin and general appearance of reptiles, but they move like birds, with the speed and predatory uh, intelligence of birds. Is that, is that about it? Malcolm said. Yes, Grant said. I'd say they display a mixture of traits. Uh, does that surprise you? Uh, no, not really, Grant said. It's actually rather close to what paleontologists believed a long time ago. When the first bones were found in the 1820s and 1830s, scientists felt obliged to explain the bones as belonged to some oversized variant of a modern species. This was because it was believed that no species could ever become extinct, since God would not allow one of his creations to die. Eventually it became clear that this conception of God was mistaken, and the bones belonged to extinct animals. But what kind of animals? In 1842, Richard Owen, the leading British anatomist of the day, called them Dinosauria, meaning terrible lizards. Owen recognised that dinosaurs seemed to combine traits of lizards, crocodiles and birds. In particular, dinosaur hips were bird-like, not lizard-like. And unlike lizards, many dinosaurs seemed to stand upright. Owen imagined dinosaurs to be quick, moving, active creatures, and his view was accepted for the next 40 years. But then truly gigantic finds were unearthed, animals that had weighed a hundred tons in life. Scientists began to envision the dinosaurs as stupid, slow-moving giants destined for extinction. The image of the sluggish reptile gradually predominated over the image of the quick-moving bird. In recent years, scientists like Grant had begun to swing back toward the area of more active dinosaurs. Grant's colleagues saw him as a radical in his conceptual of dinosaur behaviour, but now he had to admit his own conception had fallen far short of the reality of these large, incredibly swift hunters. Ah, uh, uh, actually, what I was uh, driving at, Malcolm said, uh, was this, it is a, a, a persuasive animal to you? Is it, a, in fact, a, a dinosaur? Uh, I'd say so, yes. And the coordinated attack behaviour? Uh, to be expected. Grant said. 
According to the fossil record, packs of velociraptors were capable of bringing down animals that weighed a thousand pounds, like a, like a Tenontosaurus, which could run as fast as a horse. Coordination would be required. Uh, how do they do that with our language? Oh, uh, language isn't necessary for coordinated hunting, Ali said. Chimpanzees do it all the time. A group of chimps will stalk a monkey and kill it. All communication is by eyes. And were the dinosaurs, in fact, uh, attacking us? Yes. They would uh, kill us and eat us if they could, Malcolm said. I think so. Uh, the, uh, the reason I ask, Malcolm said, is that I'm uh, told large predators such as lions and, and uh, tigers are not born man-eaters. Isn't that true? These animals must learn somewhere along the line that human beings are easy to kill. Uh, only afterwards do they become man-killers. Uh, yeah, I believe that's true, Grant said. Well, these uh, dinosaurs must have must be even more reluctant than lions and tigers. After all, they, they come from a time before human beings even or even large uh, mammals e existed at all. God knows what they're they thinking when they see us. So I, so I wonder, they uh, have they learned somewhere along the line that humans are easy to kill? The group fell silent as they walked. Ah, in, in any case, Malcolm said, I shall be extremely interested to see the control room now.